Welcome to your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. We'll get to some sports on the field here later in the show. Twins shut out twice in Oakland. Timberwolves win in Sacramento. A nice performance by them. But we're going to spend a good chunk of the first part of the show dealing with the sports world's reaction to the Derek Chauvin verdict on Tuesday. Uh, Former Minneapolis police officer found guilty on all three counts, um, including second-degree murder of George Floyd last May. Sporting world has been right in the middle of all this for quite some time and, you know, becoming much more active in the social justice space over the last you know, 10, 11 months now. And, you know, I was struck by two things as I started to think about all the reactions that we were seeing pouring in and hearing, uh, in particular from the Timberwolves after their game against Sacramento. You know, number one, you see every, you saw every league and a lot of different teams releasing statements in the, you know, in the wake of the verdict. And I thought that was interesting. I don't, I don't know if we would have been at a place, you know, two, three years ago where we saw every single league weighing in every single team you know showing giving some sort of statement about this and you know it, it it goes to show kind of the the place we're in because i think some people don't like it that that the leagues are doing this um you, you still see you know i think the nhl was was a perfect example of of kind of how you can't maybe can't win is the wrong way to, is the wrong way to put it but the, the the difficult place leagues are in because of how different Different people view the intersection of sports and politics, or the or the intersection of sports and um, you know social justice. You know, NHL put out a statement that I thought was pretty uh, bland. If I'm going to be perfectly honest, I'm going to read it right now. While we hope the end of the trial offers a chance for healing, we remain committed to actively engaging in the mom- in the movement for equality, and we invite our fans to join us in supporting systemic change. You know, a statement is better than no statement. Didn't feel like it was a whole lot said there. A lot of more specific things. The Twins put out a, a you know, the Twins, even before the verdict came out, put out a huge statement um, about how much they're working for social justice, how much they're praying for the family of George Floyd. Um, you know, NBA, NFL went much further than the NHL. But you know, I'm not here to, I'm not going to quibble right now about the length of the statement. I did that on Twitter. That's fine. Um, but you also you go into the mentions of you know on Twitter and you see. You know, some fans saying, "I don't even. Why'd you put out the statement? You keep keep sports separate from politics." Um, I think one one comment I read was, "You know, while I'm down with the verdict, why does the NHL need to chime in? Um, can we knock it off with with all this?" I mean, it's just my verdict. My verdict is my interest in pro sports just went down. We're told the news. We're told by the news we don't need this. Um, that was a comment from someone who joined Twitter in 2021. So uh, take take that with a grain of salt. But all that said. It does feel like sports are far more into this space than they ever were before, and I think there's a learning curve there. But you know, I think it was interesting to see just the widespread reaction from leagues in the wake of the verdict on Tuesday. Second thing I would say is I feel like the word accountability was the one that was used the most when I saw player reactions to the verdict. Um, you know, it wasn't you know this it wasn't joy for sure. It wasn't even necessarily the, a sense of you know, justice, uh, because I think, you know, you've heard even some players say if there was justice, George Floyd would still be alive. But you you saw the word accountability written and said a lot. You know, LeBron James, that was his basically his one word tweet was accountability. You saw it from other athletes as well. 
um, it just showing up in different places. So I thought that was interesting. I thought that was a, that's a good word to use, I think, in, in conjunction with all this. Um, and I think it's one that means a lot in the sports world. We'll hear from Carl Anthony Towns here in just a second. Um, you know, accountability means a lot to an athlete because they are, they are asked to be held accountable for their actions within the context of a team in a lot of different settings. And I feel like that that, that was a big piece of kind of how the, how a lot of athletes viewed this. So I want to play a clip from Carl Anthony Towns postgame. I'm going to play one from Josh Akogi as well. And then we're going to hear from True Pettigrew, who is the Twi- Timberwolves Vice President of Player Programming, Diversity, and Inclusion. I had a chance to talk with him um, on Tuesday evening about all the all that team is doing and, you know, kind of what uh, what players have been going through within that space. Like I said, this is just a, a, a moment in time that, we get to realize, you know, we when you grow up, your parents tell you what's right and wrong and they tell you, you know better. They, they, they try to teach you accountability for your actions. Um, they try to teach you that justice will always be served. The good always win in the end. And recently, even, you know, in life, you know, especially for all of us of color and for me personally, you know, sometimes the good people don't win. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough fact that you got to swallow but just glad that in some sort of sense, you know, we're just seeing the word accountability actually being shown, you know, that you have to be accountable for your actions. You know, we talk so much about holding all of us, all of the players in this locker room accountable for the way they play. If it's good or bad, if it's not meeting your standards, you know, as media, that's, you know, that's what you guys do. But the word accountability is there. You know, it feels like everywhere other than sports media, you don't see the word accountability really coming into play especially in politics so you know it's just a great moment for the word accountability gaining some actual meaning uh, gaining some actual value justice uh, while being bittersweet also um, showed its showed itself today but like I said it's bittersweet because it, 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 it costed a life to see a moment like this and um it's one of those moments you worry you worry that um, if reform's not done, we'll be having the same situation again, and that's the most unfortunate and disheartening thing. And again, that was Carl Anthony Towns. Here's Josh Akogi, who's been very active in the social justice space, again, using the word accountability right off the bat to express how this made him feel to hear the verdict on Tuesday. I mean, to me, you know, a lot of people, you know, call it justice. You know, for me, it's more accountability more than everything. For me, you know, if justice was, you know, really, really, really served, you know, um, George Floyd would still be here today. But um, obviously, we don't have no control over that now. But what we did have control over was, you know, the court case and, you know, what we decided to do with um, Derek Chauvin. But, you know, I think the court made the right decisions. And, you know, I, I hope this, you know, sets a precedence for, you know, the other, you know, cops around the world who, you know, try, and I don't want to say try to, but you know, kill, you know, um, innocent minor- minorities. Um, I hope this slows down the uh, amount of, you know, shootings that are happening in the world right now. Um, definitely um, don't say I'm happy for the family of George Floyd because, you know, they should have never been in this position in the first place. But I'm, I am um, glad that, you know, we're taking steps in the right direction. And just, just overall with, with this going on with the killing of Dante Wright, how hard has it been just to, to try and focus on basketball as much as you can with, with everything that's been going on back home? I mean, as a basketball player, you have to, you know, you have to compartmentalize. You know, I've said this before, you know, a lot of people deal with things individually, 
know, on personal levels in their life, you know, whether it be family problems, whatever the problems may be, you know, as a basketball player, you just have to compartmentalize. I mean, it's definitely harder when, you know, this is going on, but, you know, we definitely do have to, if we decide to play, we have to go out there and do our jobs. But um, we definitely do have those those families and, um, you know, those people in the back of our minds when we're playing. And, you know, uh, I'm glad that we were able to get the win tonight. Um, you know, we have the game ball where, you know, I dedicate that to George Floyd's family. So that's, you know, great that we were able to do that. You heard Akogi talking about, you know, getting the game ball, getting the win and dedicating it to the family of George Floyd. We will talk about that game here in a little bit. But first, I do want to bring in True Pettigrew, as I mentioned before, Vice President of Player Programs, Diversity and Inclusion for the Timberwolves for a longer discussion of the big picture of all of this. Really pleased to be joined right now on Daily Delivery by True Pettigrew, Vice President of Player Programs, Diversity and Inclusion with the Timberwolves has been in that role for a few months since December. Um, True, welcome to the program. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, maybe, you know, right at the outset, you can give listeners a, an overview of what, you know, what this role entails and some of the things that you have been, you know, working on since taking on this assignment with the Timberwolves in, in December. No, absolutely. So it's a bit of a dual role of, uh, VP of player programs, and I'll focus on that piece first. It's really first, it's really working with the players to help them develop as, 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 as men, as human beings, as people. Uh, the coaches do a tremendous job of developing, developing them as athletes and, and, and players, and we want to develop the whole individual, the whole person. So I, I commend the Timberwolves organization for investing in a resource to help our players understand how to be the best husbands, fathers, partners, uh, community leaders that they can be, uh, not just being the best they can be on the court, but my role helps to develop them in being the best people they can be off the court as well. And then the diversity and inclusion piece of it really speaks to helping to foster a more inclusive culture uh, inside the organization and outside the organization in the Twin Cities community and, and empowering people with the tools, information, and resources to be able to do that internally and externally. Obviously, the the Diversion and inclusion piece. It's 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 been such a um, a moment here in Minneapolis, in worldwide uh, over the last year and, and even beyond that. Obviously, uh, Tuesday reaching a verdict in the uh, Derek Chauvin case. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to kind of jump into the minds of all the players of the Tim you know, on the Timberwolves, but you know, as someone who has worked with with these guys on on various projects, I know you worked. You know, you had a hand in. Um, something with that Josh Akogi did last week. And I want to ask you about that, but as you, you know, in the lead up to this, what, what were some of the conversations maybe you were having or how, how would you imagine the news of Tuesday is, is, is being felt by, by various players on the, on the team? I mean, like most other people in the community and across the nation, there was a lot of angst, anticipation, a, a large range of emotions, anticipating what this verdict was going to be. And I think that speaks volumes to where we are in, in a society, right? And just sitting on the edges of our seats after seeing something so tragic take place for, for over nine minutes and still wondering if in fact that this would result in a, a, a conviction. And so just helping our players to process those feelings, those emotions and understand how they can leverage their voice, their, 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 their platforms to be able to help impact 
change. I mean, people are challenged and, 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 and frustrated to see these types of incidents of, of these tragic incidents of in, inequities and inequalities and injustices take place over and over and over again. And I think people are, our players I know for certain have been uh, driven to a point where they feel compelled to affect change. And so part of my role in that DNI function is to help them understand how to do that in the most responsible way. Yeah, they, you know, not that they necessarily felt like there wasn't anything they could do, but do, do, you, do you get the sense that, you know, before you had certain conversations with them or they were, you know, they're like, how do I, how do we even begin to address this problem? What, what can I even do as one person? Was there a sense of uh, frustration or, or just kind of trying to figure out how they can use their voice or how they can use their actions or even their, even financially to, to, to make a difference? I mean, it, it, it's across the board, Michael, and every individual, each player is at, at a different place and no single player is going to do the same thing as every other person. They're all equipped with different gifts and different passions and that I've, I've helped them understand how their gifts and, and passions can align with how they are best wired and prepared to serve because they all have the heart and the desire to serve in some way. And they all have been doing that long before I arrived on the scene. My experience and expertise is helping to lend to them how they can combine those gifts and those passions and their desire to serve, to serve in a way that's going to get the most out of those, those gifts and to help them understand that leveraging their time, talent, and treasure, right? You talked about financially, that's one piece of it, but there's so much more impact that they can make with the, uh, in other areas, you know, with, with investing their time and pouring into communities where the need is the greatest and helping to identify where those opportunities are, quite honestly, and connecting with the community to help our players identify where the greatest needs are. As you've worked with a lot of these players, um, does that leave you the space to process all of these things yourself? I, I must, I just kind of wonder, you know, sometimes when you're in a, in a role as a helper, or as you're trying to help people process things, have you been able to process all this in this moment, including what happened on Tuesday in the verdict? It's, it's heavy, Michael, if I'm being fully transparent to it's, it's, it's traumatizing for all of us and I'm not immune to that. And so my opportunity and ability to help facilitate ways to process that trauma with others in its own way is, 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 has been therapeutic for me. So as much as I have been able to be in a position to help others by sharing and, and hearing and listening, it's a, a way that's helped me to process it also, but it's also, it can also be heavy as you are constantly receiving the, 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 the stresses and the angst and the, the, the weight of how it's impacting and affecting others. So it is, uh, I, I guess, um, how's the saying go to whom much is given, much is required, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that is, I believe that is how it, I believe that how it goes. And that's, yeah, I, I imagine it, it. It's not, you know, I, you know, I, I feel the same things in certain circumstances. Not this one particularly, but I get where you're coming from on that regard. So, you know, kudos to you and able, being able to, you know, use what you're doing to also process if that's what you're able to do in some circumstances. Um, I know I read in the the news release announcing that that you were hired. It was, was part of you know several other hires that the organization made. You were 
um, part of how you were described was as a millennial empowering expert. And I, you know, it struck me because <laughs> I, I wanted to know, well, I, I wanted to know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a millennial, I'm, I'm Gen X, but is, is there a generational component to how players have reacted and wanted to be engaged in this moment and this movement over the last year um, that maybe you can articulate or, or am I, am I on off base with that question? No, I think you, you are spot on. It's a, it's a great question. And thank you for that. And I, I am your generational brother, by the way, we're both Gen Xers here. So I am not a millennial. Uh, I spent a lot of my career early on working with millennials, not as a millennial, but helping a lot of organizations understand how to connect with millennials, both in the marketplace and in the workplace. And so in doing that work, I have discovered some uh, generational differences, right? And we, we have to keep in mind, there are over 80 million millennials, right, in, 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 in our country. So they got us outnumbered. They got us outnumbered. <laughs> but you can't fit them all in one box. So I just want to right. acknowledge that they are individuals, but there are some universal truths about each generation. And then what I've discovered with millennials is the, the technology that has been present being the digital natives that they are, they were born into this technology. And what I think, or what I believe, the role that technology has played that's created a difference is it's created values and, 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 and behaviors that weren't even possible to exist for people like you and I, because the technology that's created those values and behaviors wasn't even present. And so what we, we talk about the role that technology has played in their lives and, and, and really creating this sense of instant gratification, but it, it, it's really transcended that. And it has created a desire for them to be connected, not just connected technologically, but they want to be connected to their passions. They want to be connected to a sense of purpose and they want to be connected to the people that can help them fuel their passions and their purpose. So it's created this desire and this sense of connection that transcends the technological connection. And so they it's they're very civic minded more so than uh, the generations that have come before them. And when they want to hold institutions and organizations accountable for not just what they do, but why they do it. And, and if those organizations are addressing the real issues that are impacting society. And so that's one of the things that I've noticed about this generation that differs from their generational counterparts. One of the players that has been most active in this space is Josh Koji. He, uh, he, you know, he, Speaking of you know, using platforms for positive change, he, he, I, I believe you were part of helping him come up with the idea for the for the warm up shirts. I believe that was last week. Um, maybe talk me through that process and working with Josh as someone who you know he definitely seems like he's he wants to be in that space and almost has become someone who is comfortable articulating not just his feelings but you know how um, maybe the larger group feels as well. Not J.O. or Josh, Nicole and J.O. J.O. is phenomenal. I mean, I love his heart. I love his conviction. I love his, his leadership when it comes to societal issues and his, his, his boldness and his willingness to step out and, and step forward and, and take some action. And so he, he shared with us that he and the rest of the players wanted to do something uh, because of the tragedy that had just recently happened with, with Dante Wright. And they, they wanted to do something to show uh, support for the family and to voice their, uh, their, their, their thoughts and emotions about this tragedy. 
And so we worked together with, with, with JL and the other players to come up with this, the statement tees that you all saw us uh, wearing during the game, the pregame statement tees that we also shared with the other teams that played, that we played against that week, including the Nets and, you know, and, and you know, and, and including the other teams that played against us that week. And he wanted to take it a step further beyond making a statement, right, to show solidarity and support. How can we physically help the family? And then he came up with the idea of doing a charity auction. So for all of the teams that got involved, including the Lynx, right? So it was the Wolves and, and the Lynx and all of the teams that we played that week, you know, the, the Bucks were a part of that as well, to auction off the the chair the the tees for charity that went to the Dante Wright Foundation, which is the 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 foundation that the family has designated as the official fund that they wanted to you know direct their their support their financial support to, and I am extremely proud to share that you know we we raised uh, twenty five thousand dollars for for that charity and then it was it was matched. And so now we are at $50,000 that we are extremely proud to be able to share for the Dante Wright Foundation. I'm, I'm glad you, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the Dante Wright. I'm obviously not glad that we are talking about that situation, but um, it does lead into the last thing that I had for you in that Tuesday's verdict, I feel like brought out a sense of relief. You saw that a lot from, from athletes, but you also got a sense of, um, hey, this is only a, a step in the process. This is not an end point. This is, this is a journey that's, that's got a long way to go. So as you think about that, what's, what are, you know, as, as players come back to the Twin Cities here after, you know, after being out in Sacramento and, you know, on this trip, what, what's next? What, what are the conversations now? And, and how, how do they keep using their voices for, for good? Well, to continue what we believe is a step in the right direction based on the verdict, and I don't know if the sentiment of our players was so much that it was justice, is that it's okay. It's the direction and account. It's the right direction and accountability. I don't know if we would quantify that or qualify that. It's so much as justice, but it's about accountability. And so, uh, one of the things that we're looking to do is to have some conversations with community members and community leaders, have conversations with law enforcement, be facilitators uh, of bridge builders on how to foster uh, healing and unity in a community that is hurting so badly in a community that is, is, has experienced so much pain and so much tragedy and so much hurt is to be facilitators leveraging their voices and their platform and their desire to foster, I would say, healing for the, those that are hurting so badly, resolution, because it is, it's, a, it's a problem that needs to be resolved. And in some way, not that we have all the answers, but to do what we can with what we have, the players to do what they can with what they have to create resolution. But then also, Michael, is reconciliation, because we'd be naive to think that if we only resolve the problem, but don't reconcile the damaged relationships, then we will find ourselves in a situation of having to resolve problems over and over. So the players are gonna be focused and the organization is gonna be focused on healing, resolution and reconciliation by facilitating courageous and necessary conversations that includes community members, community leaders, law enforcement and our um, business leaders within the, the Twin Cities community.
True. I really appreciate your time here on Daily Delivery today. Really good conversation. Glad I got to know you a little bit better and everything that you're doing. Important work with the Timberwolves, um, especially on this difficult you know, difficult time we're in right now. Um, it, it's especially important. So thank you so much for joining the program and I hope we get a chance to talk again down the road. No, thank you for having me, Michael. I appreciate all the work you're doing as well. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. On the court, it was kind of the perfect game for the Timberwolves. Maybe that's too far, but it was maybe, let's put it this way. It was the kind of game um, that I think Chris Finch wants to play. Uh, the defense wasn't great, but they got stops in the fourth quarter. 134-120 was the final. A real track meet at the beginning, 74-74 at halftime. Um, but you wind up with, you know, kind of their big three players doing the the most work in that game. You know, Anthony Edwards winds up with 28 points, four rebounds, three assists, three steals, got off to a huge start, and then had a nice finish. Carl Anthony Towns goes for 26 points, 18 rebounds, five assists and four blocks. D'Angelo Russell comes off the bench, 28 points, six assists, three rebounds. I mean, that's pretty much how you would draw it up if you are the Timberwolves in in terms of your big players making big contributions. But you know, it wasn't just those guys. Josh Okogie, you know, who we talked to earlier, 10 points, a plus 21 in the game, team high. Jaden McDaniels, 13 points, six rebounds. Both of those guys played great defense. Ricky Rubio with 11 assists. Um, Nas Reed, 10 points off the bench. So a lot of different contributions in that game. Now the key is this. Can they do it again? They play Sacramento again on Wednesday night. They have not, the Timberwolves have not won back-to-back games since the first two games of this season. They've had this habit of win one, and then, you know, we we've talked about this on the show the other day, how it's kind of even ridiculous, but win one and then, you know, get a little bit of overconfidence almost or, you know, relax a little bit and say, oh, we can do this. And then you stop doing the things that it took to win the game. So can they sustain this, you know, whatever you would want to call this momentum? I don't even know if it's momentum. They don't have the worst record in the league anymore. Uh, they're a half game ahead of uh, Houston. So, you know, they, they've got that going for them. But, you know, can they... Can they put together two consecutive good games, win two games in a row, and then we can start to talk about a team that, you know, not like they're getting dangerous, not like they're going to make a playoff run of any sorts, but, you know, that, that you can start to talk about, okay, you're starting to see the pieces come together a little bit more. They've been certainly been better in the second half of this season. You know, if their record right now is 16-43, and 43, you know, that means that the back half of this season has been, what, 9-14. and 14. Not great again, but, you know, better than it has been, so... Can they keep winning some games? Can they can they string together some better performances, you know, as they as they get down the stretch of this season? Let's end today with the cooler. We're gonna put the twins there today. Um, that's probably where they deserve to be because they were ice cold on Tuesday. The return to action after that three day COVID pause shut out twice in the seven inning doubleheader against Oakland. First game, a blowout, seven nothing. Second game, one to nothing in seven innings. You know, got close at the end with a long fly ball from Williams Astadio, caught you know near the wall at the at the very end. So you know, but still two shutouts. I believe that's the first time that's happened to the Twins in 60 years. That's not a good stat. They're six and ten now. Remember, they were five and two at one point. That means they are one 
and eight since then. A lot of things not going right. Spoiled another really good start by Jose Barrios in that second game. But again, you had the COVID pause. You don't know what the timing is going to be like with you know the hitters and and whatnot. Maybe that shows up a little bit in that doubleheader. But maybe it also shows that uh, they're a little bit vulnerable against uh, you know against some good left-handed pitching. They, they've got some some holes in their lineup. Some guys that aren't going very well right now. When you don't have you know you don't have your your full lineup clicking and you're not hitting well against left-handed pitching, that's going to be tough. So you, you don't want to keep playing like this. You want to start stringing some wins together because these losses count. These losses will mount, and uh, we'll see if they can pull themselves out of this Wednesday uh, when they play an afternoon game against Oakland once again. And we'll hear more about all this from Megan Ryan, uh, Twins beat writer. She will join me on Thursday's show to talk about everything that has happened in the last week with the COVID pause and now the, the bat's going ice cold. And that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening so much. We'll be back at it again Thursday. Like I said, Megan Ryan on the show Friday, expecting to have Marcus Fuller and Jameson Battle. Um, our Gopher beat writer and uh, newest member of Gophers men's basketball team. So listen for that as well. Talk to you later. We'll see you on Thursday. Thanks for listening to Daily Delivery.